so we are in a, in a series that sounds really innocent. It's just called Conversations with Jesus. And so when you think about what does Jesus want to talk about, you think he wants to talk about really, you know, happy, nice things. Like, I love you so much, and aren't you worth more than the sparrows in the sky, and those kinds of things. And what we did as we, as we developed the series, we simply did this. We looked at the... The, the, the reddest parts, if you know how you have the red letter edition of the Bible. And so you, uh, we went through the book of Mark and looked at the reddest parts of Mark where he was having a conversation. And then we just linked those together and called this series Conversations with Jesus. And we tried to do that in kind of a neutral way. Like not calculating which conversations, but just take the main ones and look at that. And wouldn't you know, they're all hard. Like every single one of them, just, oh, really? Really? And so we're talking, you know, the last few weeks, and it's just, wow. Well, today we get to talk about gouging out eyes and cutting off limbs. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, I'm just the messenger, right? So, <laughs> but, yeah, here we go. So we're going to be, the title is to talk about purity. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 42 to 50. And this is how it reads. If any one of you causes these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. And so he just had a reference to holding a child on his lap. And then kind of referencing this child as being more than just a child, but a metaphor of people who are innocent and trying to follow God. So he's, he's sitting with one of these. If anyone causes any one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Okay. Do I hear an amen? Uh, <clears throat> so he's saying, uh, if you cause somebody to stumble, the least of your problems would be a physical death. There's something worse that could happen than a physical death. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed with two hands to go into then with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And it doesn't stop. And if your eye if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm that eats where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted, or the word means to be purified with fire. And notice how hell is referred to as fire, so that's going to mean something in a minute. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you be made salty again? Uh, you're invited to do something, and you have one chance. You can't get salty again. You have one life to live, and it really matters. And so pay attention to this. Have salt among yourselves. Another version, the uh, New Century version says, be full of salt and be at peace with each other. Father, I ask that you would teach us from your word. These are, these are heavy words. But we know that whatever you say, you say because you love us and you want to set us free and draw us to yourself and to each other. And so I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your word says to us this morning. 
Amen. So this passage begins with God revealing his heart to us about the vulnerable. If you want to know what God thinks about and what he's concerned about, he's concerned about those who are vulnerable, whether it be children or the poor, the needy, the foreigner, somebody who's innocently trying to follow God. His heart cares for that to such an extent that if we would violate one of those people, he'll send us to hell. This is a super big deal. If you want to know what, what upsets God is if you and I don't concern ourselves with the disadvantaged and the vulnerable. And if we don't care about that, he threatens hell to us. Isn't that shocking? Like you're just minding your own business, doing what you want to do. You're not bothering anybody. And he says, watch it. Because if you keep living in a way that's oriented only towards yourself, you run in danger of having uh, hell, being destroyed in hell as your outcome of life. So why is hell described as fire? Uh, you, you know, it's uh, burning sulfur, and I mean, it sounds nasty. So why is it about fire? Is it just about, you know, scaring us into not wanting to be burned or something? Is that what's going on? Well, fire in the Bible is always a word that has to do with purification. The best example of that would be, uh, I used to be a an industrial education teacher, so I did woodwork and metalwork and those kinds of things. And if you, if you're gonna, uh, if you want metal to become pure, what you do is you fire it, you heat it up, and then all is called dross. All the impurities come to the surface. You scrape those off, and then you have a pure metal that's left. So fire purifies things. Hell purifies the world of sinful people. That's what it does. It gets rid of sinful people so the world can be pure. In, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, The present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But in keeping, then it goes on in verse 13, but in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So what... Uh, God is telling us is that he's going to promise to us a future world that is purged of sin. It's been refined. And what's refined it is the destruction of ungodly men and women. And so they're going to be sent to hell so that the world, scraped off, destroyed, so that the world can be made new and righteous. That's what's going on. This is serious stuff. This is why Jesus says to cut off what makes us sin against others. And he names three things. Our hands, our feet, and our eyes. Because uh, everything is going to get tested, it says in 2 Corinthians, with fire. And so uh, cut off the things that are going to get burned so that you don't get burned with them. That's his message. I promise you, I'm going to destroy sin. 
So if, if a part of you is sinful, quickly cut it off so that when I go to destroy it, you won't be destroyed along with it. That's his message. I'm trying to save you, but if you insist on being connected to what destroys the world, then you'll be destroyed along with it. So uh, for our ministry time, I've asked Pastor Matt to bring along some utensils. Uh, we're gonna be, that's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. Uh, for the record, Deuteronomy 14.1 speaks against mutilation of the body. And so for sure we know that Jesus is speaking in a metaphor. He does not mean that. It's not what his goal is. He is exaggerating something because it's super important and he's trying to make it clear to us just how important it is. So given the severity of what he's talking about, we're going to explore two things. One is what God's concern is. And then number two is how we get free from that concern. So let's look at the context of this passage. Uh, just before what we read, <coughs> the disciples were caring more about themselves than the vulnerable people around them. Uh, they did two things. First of all, they were arguing amongst themselves about who's the greatest. And so that's what they were thinking about. They think, am I better than you? Are you better than me? And they were arguing about who was the most powerful, who was the greatest, who had the greatest status. And Jesus comes along and says, what are you doing? <clears throat> you should be caring about the least, and you're concerned about who's the greatest? You're to be concerned with the least among you, and then he holds up a child as an example of that. And then uh, someone else is casting out demons in Jesus' name, setting people free in Jesus' name, and they get mad at them and say to Jesus, you should rebuke them because they're not with us. And Jesus says, what are you doing? They're doing good. And if they're doing good, who, who, what does it matter what group they're in? They're setting people free in my name. Leave them alone and rejoice in that. Think about the person getting set free. Don't think about being threatened by your status. So his concern is simply this. It's <clears throat> good timing. His concern is simply this. If you don't kill your self-centeredness, it will kill you. If you don't kill your self-centeredness, it will kill you. If you befriend the things that draw attention to yourself and make this world all about you, it'll kill you. And more than that, it's going to cause these little ones to stumble because of how you're behaving. So, if self-centeredness shapes where you go, that's your feet. What you do, that's your hands. Or what you see, cut them out, gouge them out. If, you're, uh, if where you go, what you do, and what you look at is driven by a self-centered agenda, drastically do whatever you need to do to get rid of those things. Don't negotiate. Don't, you know, try to heal the hand or the foot. Cut it off. It's gangrene. It's, 
it's going to infect your whole body and there's only one recourse to cut it off and go in the opposite direction. So the question needs to be asked of you. When you decide, and me, when we decide where to go, where are you going to go for lunch? Uh, where are you going to decide to live? Why do you go to the gym? Why do you go to the bar? Why did you go to the beach? Were those things driven by a self-serving agenda? Jesus says to us, then cut it off. Just cut it off. Uh, what do you do when you're at work? Uh, are you lazy? Do you look for the easiest way out? Or do you work overtime and just work super, super hard? Is it a self-serving agenda? How do you spend your leisure when, uh, when whenever it is you're, you're finished work, five or six or whatever it is o'clock, and you're done, do you say, this is my time? Jesus has cut that off. It's not your time. I bought you with the price. This is about me. This isn't about you. This is about living a life of love. It's not your time. And if self-centeredness is motivating what you do with your hands, then the appropriate response is to be terrified and to do whatever you possibly can do to get rid of that. How do you see people? Do you see them in a self-serving way? You know, we have that mix and mingle time. We, we joke about how it's super great for others and just, you know, awkward, you know, for others. And uh, when you go, just leave me alone. You know, or, or what, do you, what do you see? Oh, that person looks like they could be my friend. I'll go and talk to them. They'll never be my friend. They look awkward. I'm not going to go near them. What, what do you see? What do you see around me? Do you see a world that's deciding who to befriend or not befriend according to whether it will, be, it will benefit you or not? Do you look at people and they dress in a certain way and you judge them? It says, cut that off. Gouge out your eye. It's causing you to stumble. And, and what's his threat? Uh, fear hell. <clears throat> a few, I would say... Uh, 20 years ago, there used to be a form of evangelism, <coughs> uh, and it was the uh, it was a two it was a two question. They they trained you on how to do this. It's called evangelism explosion or something. I think if I remember correctly. And uh, what you would do, you would go up to strangers and you would say to them, "If you were to die today, do you know where you would go?" That was the, I mean, it's an awkward introduction, but it was what we were taught. And uh, this, was how you, this was how you did evangelism. And so you would just go up to people, and you would basically ask them, do you know, if you were to die today, are you going to go to heaven, or are you going to go to hell? Now, what we observe, those people who care about these things, is that that question uh, was no longer relevant for people. Uh, it didn't work anymore. 
So you would say to somebody, you know, do you know what? They go, I don't know. Maybe hell, I, whatever. And, and what uh, evangelists discovered is that society was no longer afraid of hell. It, it was no longer a motivator. Uh, people uh, in our society are living with such uh, short-sighted views, eyes, short-sighted eyes, that I'm thinking about how to get my next fix or what's going to make me happy next. And you're talking about 20, 50, whatever years. What are you doing? I don't care about that. And even if I did care, how do I even know? Like, it's just irrelevant. And if, and if hell even exists, then that just proves that God's a jerk, and so why would I want to be in heaven? And so there's something about our society that is just uh, uh, unimpressed with the justice and righteousness of God and that we would actually be punished for our sin. And so, uh, this is terrifying. Because we look at a passage like this, and we just say, it's extreme. Lighten up. I want to hear again about how Jesus loves me, and how I've been made beautiful in his eyes. What do you, how, you, how do you think hell's going to motivate me? It doesn't motivate me, it discourages me. But the whole argument is uh, for righteousness is you want to go to hell. If you've ever tried to, to love somebody, um, the, you know the brazenness of defiance. But the brazenness doesn't always look uh, angry. It just looks like a victim. It, I'd love to be righteous, really I would. But if you had any idea of what my upbringing was like, if you have any idea what my doctors say about me, if you knew what I was going through, you would lighten up. Like you're unfair in the expectations that you put on me. One of the things that I, I find really interesting is that there's a group of people who uh, condemn the Old Testament as being cruel and judgmental and prefer to have a New Testament God. So the Bible's divided into two sections, before Jesus and after Jesus, Old Testament, New Testament. And so they read the Old Testament, they go, whoa, that's a little heavy. I'm going to choose, you know, Jesus' way. And I'm only going to read the, the red letters, which unfortunately is what we're doing today. <laughs> because, what we, because what we find is that Jesus says, you heard that it was said, you know, don't kill. Well, I'm telling you, don't even be angry. You heard that it was said, don't have adultery. Well, I'm saying don't even look lustfully at a woman. It's like, Really? This is the good news that will set us free. But this is, this is, this is, this is the truth. 
And God's, you know, saying, again, we're quoting Jerry Maguire, you know, again, you know, help me help you. <clears throat> and it's like, I'm trying to save you from destruction and destroying people around you. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to wake you up to a very stark reality. And so one of the things that I pray for myself all the time, and it, you, maybe you think this is weird, I say, Father, let me fear you. Let me fear your judgment. I can go through a whole day and just be thinking about me. Like that, don't like that, wherever my feet take me, whatever my hands do, whatever my eyes see, I'm just being me. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just minding my own business. Help me consider you. Help me consider the outcome of where I go and what I do and what I see. Oh, God, awaken me to an eternal reality that shapes how I live today. In 2 Peter, back to chapter 3 again, it says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, with fire, this purification, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Sometimes it's easy to think as purity as kind of being having nice thoughts inside. And the Bible describes purity very practically. Purity means that you're going to do uh, what is uh, unselfish. You're just going to do different things. You're going to go in different places, do different things. You're going to practically be uh, loving and gracious and peaceful and kind and other-centered. I remember uh, when I was doing my doctoral work, my advisor, one of my advisors was a professor at Regent College. His name was Charles Ringma. And uh, he had passed away. It's really sad. So I, ha I had a master's degree. And while I was doing that, my advisor also passed away. So never be my advisor if you want to have an early death. But anyways, it's, uh, but so Charles Ringma, what he would do is he, he, uh, he told me he would spend half of his year uh, being a proper regent in Vancouver, considered one of the nicest cities in the world. And then he had spent the other half of his year in the Philippines um, teaching there. And he says, Greg, he says, I've had two conversions in my life. The first conversion was my conversion to Christ. That changed everything for me. But he says, I've had a second conversion. And it was weird language for me because it sounded a little bit scary that he would equate something else with conversion to Jesus. But he's a regent prof, so you can't argue. And uh, he says, I had a second conversion. And he says, it, it was to the poor. And he says, so, so I spent half of my year in the Philippines trying to raise up the church in a developing world. And then when I'm here in Vancouver, I'm part of a community. And we live on the Lower East Side. And we try to be a light in the darkness. And he says, we've come together as a community. Because we don't want, and this is what he called it, a drawbridge Christianity. Where you, you live in your, in your nice protected tower, and then you come out now and then to give a few token niceties to the poor, and then you go back into your ivory tower. He says, we've decided that we're going to live in the Lower East Side as a community and understand what it means to be light there. I thought, okay, I'm listening. 
I'm listening to you, not because you have some kind of degree, but because you're living out a passage like this and you don't want anyone to stumble because of how you live. There's the fear of the Lord in you. And that fear has changed not just what you think, not just what you believe, but how you live. This is a man who understands the truth of the gospel. So how then do we get free, point two? How do we get free? Or as this passage says, how do we get cut off from our self-centeredness? Okay, I'm trying to build in you attention that you and I are in danger of hell. And so the appropriate response is, what must I do to be saved? That's the, that's the appropriate response if I've mildly done my job. Jesus introduces an alternative to hellfire. And it's a strange alternative because it's kind of unfamiliar to us, but we'll unpack it. It's called salt. So he says, uh, you can't avoid purification. It's just going to happen. The whole world's going to be purified because I'm committed to love. And there's no way that I'm going to tolerate your selfishness and have us all suffer because of it. I can't do that. That's not loving. And so I will purify the world. Now, I'm going to purify the world completely and ultimately in the day of judgment, the, 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 the future. I'm going to do it then, and you can rest assured I will do that. But if you would like to be purified in a better way that doesn't destroy you, then I have another alternative, and it's called being purified with salt. In, um, in this New Century Version, it says in verse 50, be full of salt. Now, I mean, we don't, uh, uh, because we have refrigeration units, uh, you know, fridges, we don't think in terms of salt. But if you go back 100 years, salt was a preservative and a purifier. And if you look at the Old Testament, it's one verse that talks about this is Leviticus 2.13. It says, add salt to all of your offerings. So before you bring an offering to the Lord, uh, some sign of, of sacrifice and surrender and the need for forgiveness, before you give any of that, make sure you sprinkle some salt on it because the salt will purify it. It preserves it from hell. It purifies it. Salt is a purifier. And so we're told to, uh, to avoid the ultimate purification um, that'll cost us our lives to choose another form of purification called being sprinkled with salt. I know it's a little bit weird, but let's keep going with this. Uh, and as we are purified, we let ourselves be purified with the salt, which we'll unpack what that is in a minute. What that's going to do, this salt that purifies us, ends up being flavorful to those around us. So he says, if you don't want someone else to stumble, you don't stumble. So he's, he's equating our stumbling with their stumbling. So you become pure, and then you'll taste good to others. Like, that's how this works. So you don't just kind of focus on fixing them. You become pure, and then you'll become a blessing to those around you, and everybody is blessed. Everybody gets saved. One of the things that uh, we talk a lot about in parenting, and this is, this is very hard for people to grasp, to grasp but I, and I, I can only say it in a minute because it's not the main point, but it should be said, that the primary way that you parent well 
is you don't fix your children, you become salt yourself. The, the primary way that you parent well is you become godly instead of just making them godly. Because what is actually going on in parenting is they're living in reaction to you. And so the way that you make them godly and not stumble is you don't become a stumbling block. You become pure, you become salt, and then now you're flavorful to your children. It's very hard for parents because you just feel condemnation most of the time. But it's very hard for parents to realize that the main thing that's going on is your children are reacting off of you. And so to fix them, you actually don't fix them at all. You cut off what's causing them to stumble, your own impurities. And as you become salt, you'll be flavorful to them. So what is this salt? Colossians 4, 6 describes it as grace. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Uh, the definition that we can use today to explain what this word grace means is act of mercy. To somehow, uh, wherever our feet go, whatever our hands do, and whatever our eyes see, is to be sprinkled with a pinch of salt, with a pinch of mercy. And that as, as our actions are, are seasoned with salt, with the mercy of God, not our pride and self-righteousness and status and what's about us, but as we season what we do with the salt of grace, our where we go, what we do and what we see becomes purified as we see it with eyes of mercy. Isn't that beautiful? And so God says, I can save you. I can purify you now. You don't have to be reserved for hell. And the way that you can be pure is seizing yourself with my mercy. And so when a little one comes along, when someone in need comes along, you don't think about your cost, you think about them. And now you're set free. And now you're participating in the kingdom of God. And you'll have an eternity with me and it's going to be amazing. But don't make me cut you off. Wouldn't mercy change what we see and what we do? And oh, man. Let's conclude. There's another fire that purifies and preserves us for eternity. And he's called the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3.11, it says that um, one is going to come who's Jesus, and he's going to purify us, baptize us, renew us. Immerse us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is a Holy Spirit, a purifying, righteous Spirit. In His empowering grace, His active mercy in our life that doesn't just transform us, it, it changes how we love others. Purifies not just our hearts, but He purifies our hands our feet, and our eyes. The Holy Spirit has come to do what we can't do for ourselves, to purify us, to wash through our hearts, renew where we go, what we do, and what we see. And he's come to save us. So it's not up to you 
to somehow generate salt and try harder to be better. It's to receive the Holy Spirit and to let him be the one that guides where you go and what you do and what you see. And as he is your guide, you find yourself being saved and you find yourself flavorable, flavor, flavorable? And, at, and at peace with those around you. So our encouragement this morning is to walk in him. For some of you, uh, you're here because you have a friend or relative that's getting baptized today. Welcome to church. I, this was not designed, I never, I didn't know you were coming. It's not designed to pick on new people. And it's not always what we talk about. But what I want you to hear is that your God, my God, is committed to love. And he's fierce about it. And don't imagine that you can live your life your own way. And at the end of the day, pray some prayer that says, Jesus, forgive me. And he goes, ah, ah, whatever, it's good. Be purified. Be purified today by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and choosing to season your practical life with his salt. God invited you here today to set you free from sin and self-centeredness. For those of you who would call this your church home, we're not exempt. If anything, we're under stricter judgment because we know the word of God and we know what it says. And I encourage us again today, could we please fear hell? Could we fear it? Could we not be like the culture that is just so brazen that says, bring it on? Could we not be that stupid and have our hearts awakened to the reality of judgment because without that reality righteousness doesn't quite make sense but God's word promises that love will win can we receive that love now Jesus I ask that you would awaken us to your reality it seems as though we can live in a way that just, I don't know, seems smoothed over with beautiful mountains and these right now blue skies and a comfortable existence. And it's so hard to see. We look at other countries where there's war and we go, what is their problem? Why don't they just be more like us? And we can't see that we're being swallowed up by evil. Slowly, slowly, slowly. Swallowed up by evil. Not even recognizing. And so would you awaken us to the reality of heaven and hell. To such a degree that we would desperately try to cut off whatever would separate us from you and your kingdom and your ways. And so we thank you that in our desperation... You give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to purify our hearts, to change our behavior, and to make us new.
And so as we worship you, as we receive communion for those of us who trust in you, would those be purifying moments as we receive your spirit and are cleansed from the inside out. Oh, 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 oh,